0: Uh, well, we, we had our kids in, in a variety of different schools. We had a couple of kids in the Waldorf School. We had a couple of kids at a, a local private school. And the direction that they went during the pandemic was, you know, I mean, at one point, I think we had four kids on <laughs> virtual programs in the when house. When it first
1: happened, we didn't have and, enough screens or rooms yeah, I mean, <laughs> to like house them all.
0: It was, uh, it, uh, it was a... A pressure cooker, yeah, and it definitely like
1: took us by surprise because we didn't really believe the Waldorf school would ever go online, and then they did, and we're like, "Oh, do we do this?" I guess though, so. like, and yeah. it so it, it wasn't anything that we ever felt comfortable with.
0: I guess you know we started to just have conversations with other people and other parents, and and I think collectively there was a there was at least a a small faction of of folks and families that we knew that were looking around and and watching all of the options for our children basically dissolve. You know, this isn't gonna work for our kids to have to go do health screens and wear masks. And we're, we're just, we're not gonna do that.
2: Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca, with co host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson, writer and teacher Jessica, and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. We are online at what What's what'sleftpodcast.com, our new website domain. That's uh, What's leftpodcast.com. You can find that link to our blog in the episode notes. You can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZEPTKE on Instagram, and Jess's Twitter handle as at jhomie89. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite favorite episode where you found this episode. Thank you. Right, well, today we've got two guests on What's Left, uh, joining us from Asheville, uh, North, Car- North Carolina, and we'll be discussing with them some transformative work that they have done out uh, in education, but more importantly in education that's an academy that's very different from the most public education and most kind of education that we know. We are joined by JD Azavari, the Executive Director and Therapeutic Facilitator, and by Jay Azavari, Founder and Music Chair. Uh, Jay Azavari has been working with trauma as both a facilitator and educator for over 25 years. Uh, In 2006, he studied vibrational medicine with Fabian Maman at the Tamadu Institute, focusing on resolving dissonances in the physical and subtle bodies. And in 2008, he was in, introduced to somatic experiencing and the work of Dr. Peter Levine. Uh, there is also J.D. Azavari, and she is has worked in the realms of education, empowerment, therapeutic transformation for the past 22 years. Uh, from 1999 to 2016, J.D. focused her efforts on being an independent midwife midwifery instructor, and administrator of the Matrona, Matrona, a holistic midwifery school. And beyond birth, JD has spent time studying and offering herself as a special education, homeschool teacher, raw vegan food nutritionist, and caterer, and board member to nonprofits such as Sacred Birthing. Both have extensive (laughs) knowledge and experience, and we welcome them both to what's left and are very excited to hear what they have to share with us, especially from the academy, and their approaches and their philosophy. We welcome you both, JD and Jay. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. You. you are joining us as well from At this academy that I hope that you will discuss further with us. Andy, why don't you share with us your connection with Jay and JD, uh, how you got to know them, what was the impetus for this interview as we're all looking forward to and are very excited to hearing their experiences and. Just what they have to share on today's episode.
3: Um, well, um, I got Jay's name from a person who was on our show regularly, uh, Jake um, mm-hmm. who We know for all his work around the um, the school school world school world order book, which I think Jay, maybe you had. Is that how you knew Jake? We learned mm-hmm. through yes, through that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had called me and basically said, "I met some folks you really got to talk to. Um, they're very inter- doing very interesting work in North Carolina." Um, essentially, described it as a freedom school, as a exactly the kind of school that I was actually interested in potentially being part of or starting here in the in the Bay Area. One that was completely free of really seemingly any institutions, governmental, corporate whatever and was just um and seemed to have come out of this covid stuff or at least that's when it seemed to come together and i i became very interested in talking about or getting to i reached out to jay and said i heard you're doing the school you know would you like to talk about it and we talked on the phone for a while and your story and your wife's story just sounded fascinating um and honestly i if you remember last week i was like all this stuff has gone on around ftx and Bitcoin and all the stuff in the world going on. But honestly, I personally think these are the most important stories right now because we all know the world is going to hell, but we don't know what people are doing about it. And I actually think the story you two are sharing is exactly the kinds of things that I would like to be a part of. And I think other people need to be a part of, which is building the world you want to, as you want it to exist, not the world as it is. Um, And that's what I think is exciting about the Appalachian Academy of therapeutic arts. Um, so I'm hoping to hear more about how you started this and just um, there, as as Eduardo had noted, you you all have a, an immense amount of experience in other things that I, I think we'll talk about as well, potentially, but um, that's the big thing is kind of your story about how you got the school up and going, what's been your experience and, and uh, where do you think this is headed?
0: well, i think I think you said it well that you know there is a real need for creating something that we want to see in the world. And you know a lot of a lot of the things that have happened in in our lives have really crystallized and become clear since the pandemic. You know that there was a lot of impetus and a lot of silver linings that have come out of those happenings over these last few years. But we have we have oftentimes reflected that this is what we've wanted to be seeing as something like this be created all along. You know, this, it, it gave us a little bit more of a motivation and, and an impetus to take these steps. And it's not purely just a reaction to the set of mm-hmm. conditions that we find ourselves in. It's, it's really, truly gotten us in touch with the essence of what we want to see in the world. And what we've been really striving for all along. So, I do think that is an important point to make. That you know, it's really about bringing into creation and bringing into bringing breathing in life into the ideas and the true inspirations that really light us up as humans. So, um, you know, from from my my background and my involvement with education, I would say largely came through um, music for myself. I, I studied music at Berklee College of Music in Boston when in my early twenties and was involved in studying and playing jazz and then furthermore teaching music. And so I got into the educational realm through through that and worked with people of all ages over the years, and then when I had children of my own, I started to get involved in looking for ways to seek out opportunities and experiences that were different than some of the things that were available in the conventional ways. And so that's actually part of how how J.D. and I met mm-hmm. is we were involved in organizing some more more informal than ATA homeschool Mm -hmm. cooperative and so we came together and started talking about ideas about curriculum and things Mm -hmm. and concepts that really just were inspirational to both of us Mm -hmm. and found that there was a lot of similarities there so
1: but we uh, were bringing together things like anatomy and physiology and jazz music and we're like wow look at how these things are actually alike you know and all of this really like far out but like very deep and true to us like particular ways and that was like eight years ago so way before the most recent challenges we've all been like sorting through
0: yeah and I and I think that you know for me the things that have really shaped my perception of the world have had to do with Music and vibration, and you know, not just studying and playing and performing music, but how the the harmonic relationships are reflected in our physiology, in our spirituality, in nature, in all of the things, and how those those harmonic, both um, you know, consonant and dissonant relationships, you know, tension resolution, how those things work together, and how they are deeply just reflective of how reality is made up. And so coming from coming from that lens and then I have had in my in my earlier, you know, life I've had a lot of experiences working with plant medicines. And so that really shaped a lot of my perception of reality, I'd say. And so tying together different modalities and models and and seeing the correlations of how they work together is really something that is exciting to me. And I really enjoy that. I enjoy looking for patterns and reflections of things that are connected to one another that may not may not otherwise be, but holding holding different models together and seeking commonalities. And so um, we we spent a lot of time talking about different things that, you know, we have experienced, um so, for instance the the concept of midwifery and what it means to be a midwife and holding space for something of that magnitude had to me had a lot of similarities to the experiences that I had working with ceremonial and plant medicine space and facilitating so facilitating. Mm-hmm. and what that pushed in me to grow as a as a person to be able to sit with a variety of different you know whether it's emotions or ideas or um you know interpersonal tensions and things like that and to be able to sit with that and just observe and be present with it so if we did find a lot of well i found a lot of similarities between that role that I had found myself in, and her experiences that she shared with me in midwifery. Um, so, to give a little bit of context for where we were both coming from mm-hmm. at the you know inception of of this what now is Atta, And did you want to share anything about your story or yeah, background?
1: Sure. Um, so I initially. Had a full scholarship pre-med, was like, I'm going to be an obstetrician. I don't know where that really came from at the time, but that was my focus. And 18, went to a hospital birth for the first time and was like, whoa, what the hell just happened? I had no idea. And it wasn't the birth. It was everything around the birth. And I was like, I'm not going to be an obstetrician. That's not at all how I see myself as a person who would facilitate this huge, incredible process um so then I was like well should I be a nurse what do I do and um had a memory actually of myself as probably about an eight-year-old on my back porch with my mom's friend at the time who was a very iconic hippie and my eight-year-old self was like what is going on with you and the hair and all the things but all right you know And I remember her telling us a story of how she had her baby at home on her front yard um, on Eight Mile in Detroit. And if I'm from Michigan, so if anybody has any context of what Eight Mile in Detroit is like, it's not a place where most people would have a baby. Um, But she was like, that's what I wanted. It was awesome. And my midwife helped me. I was like, oh, wow, like, what is that? And I went on a journey to really discover what that meant for me. Um, Quit college. Started traveling around the U.S., finding midwives all over that I could talk to, to tell me how they did what they did, how I could do what they were doing. And, um, yeah, it was really, really beautiful time. And then shortly thereafter, I found myself pregnant with my first child and um, went on to a really straightforward home birth, thinking that I was really prepared because I'd been studying midwifery for, at that point, five years and I came away from that birth. I mean, everybody telling me it was great, like a first baby at home, straightforward, like five hours. This is a great birth, but I didn't feel like it was, and I couldn't place what it was. Um, and then became pregnant again with my second child. Had another straightforward home birth, but that after that one was even more affected to the point where it was almost it was it was almost like a deep depression around my whole life. I didn't think I could be a midwife. I didn't really understand what was going on and just kind of set it all to the side. Um, a couple years went on. And, you know, once you kind of have the birth desire to support women in that capacity, it often doesn't go away. So it came back and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to go to, at the time, Seattle Midwifery School, actually, which doesn't exist anymore. But it um, it was. 2005, I think, and it was really the only midwifery school in the country. I'm like, I'll just get it done. I'm not going to try to apprentice anymore. I want to complete this. And um, actually found out shortly after moving to Washington State that I was pregnant with my third child and he was due right when I was supposed to start school. So I had this kind of existential dilemma. I decided to continue with being a mom to three boys, as we talked about a little bit ago. Um, But while I was pregnant with that third child, I moved into a community house with a woman who was also pregnant. And she told me she was having an unassisted birth. And I was like, well, what is that? And again, this is a pretty common thing now. But in 2005, it wasn't. It was very new. There was one book written about it that I could find. And I was a little bit like, well, what could be better than a home birth with a midwife? Like, why would you want to have? a birth in this like completely quote unquote unassisted way and she went on to tell me why and it was very similar to my story and it finally put context to what I hadn't been able to understand for at that point three or four years and it was something that felt very insidious it was like an insidious control. That yes, I had these lovely midwives who I felt really saw me and really supported me. And in a lot of ways they did. I don't particularly blame them or if you have any hard feelings toward them for this concept, but it's a bigger part of the entire system that you don't really have choice. Like even in something that's so fringe as home birth midwifery, there's still the layers of all of the indoctrination of how you support and manage someone in a medical context that you're really the one in charge. And I just completely got it. I'm like, how could I ever know more about a woman's birth than she does? She's the one in charge. Like even if I have went to school or I know all these things, like, there's no way that I could know more than she does. And that was the piece that I was able to like glean from all of that. And I went on to have an unassisted birth, which was awesome and helped me to um, understand all of those things. Um, But then and then shortly thereafter, found the midwifery school that I then went on to study with and stay on as a facilitator and teacher and then eventually administrator. It's called the Matrona. And it was really unlike anything else I'd ever seen in regards to midwifery education. And it taught exactly what I was looking for, which is how to be with somebody knowing that you're not in charge of their birth, that they are and all the variations of what that what that looks like. It was called quantum. quantum midwifery. That's what we were doing. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I was a mom and children get older and you have to figure out what to do with them. And I knew I didn't really ever want to put them in a public school system at all. It wasn't didn't align with anything that I believed in at the time. But then what what did I do? So I looked around in the community. I was pretty young still and found the Sudbury education model. And um, maybe we can talk about that a little bit more when we get into our program, but I I loved parts of it. Also Waldorf, like I really started to get into all these different pedagogical models and um, eventually went through a lot of them with my children as they grew and saw things that I liked about the different models, but also saw things that made me question if they were relevant still. I mean, for me, I it really um, rings true to say like these models were great when they hit the planet. Like Waldorf was great when it hit the planet; it matched where everyone was at. Steiner had the thing, but now I'm not sure. Sudbury, similar, hit the planet in the 70s. I think it was great. There's other things happening in the world now that I'm not sure if it if you're just doing those models in their like proper way if they really fit. So, looking at these things with that lens of curiosity. Like, let's talk about why maybe Sudbury doesn't work anymore, because there's technology in a way that has implications in regards to neurological development, that maybe that wasn't a conversation you know, 50 years ago. So that really brought me to this place of fascination with education, um, coupled continually with these ideas of how do you support someone through a transformational process? whether it's childbirth, whether it's ceremony, whether it's a child growing and learning who they are and how they're going to interface in the world. And, you know, we can, again, go into some more of these details in a little bit, but through that, had my children in a variety of different things, kind of every year they were doing something different, whether it was homeschool or Waldorf school as we moved a few times. Um, But it really created a interesting foundation for what we have have now created
2: here well i guess that's it then why don't we jump well tell us about i guess ada ada um mm
0: mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, like when when did you birth this project, like officially, and um, yeah. how did it come about? I I love I loved hearing kind of right. the backstories and like what led up to this, and mm-hmm. I I feel like I have a lot of questions about some of the stuff you covered, <laughs> but I know this episode's going to be kind of geared toward Ada, so mm-hmm. yeah, I'm fine with going there. I think.
0: So yeah, I mean, we had like like JD said, we had um, familiarity and. You know, had been involved with a variety of different schools or, you know, educational programs. And over the course of 2020, we actually, uh, well, we we had our kids in in a variety of different schools. We had a couple of kids in the Waldorf School, we had a couple of kids at a, a local private school. And the direction that they went. During the pandemic, was you know I mean at one point I think we had four kids on (laughs) virtual programs in the house. When it first
1: happened, we didn't have enough screens or rooms to like house them all.
0: It was it it was a a pressure cooker, yeah, and it definitely like
1: took us by surprise because we didn't really believe the Waldorf school would ever go online, and then they did, and we're like, oh, do we do this? I guess so. Like, and it. So it wasn't anything that we ever felt comfortable with. And luckily the schools they were in didn't do it right away. So our children weren't really on screens for that long before like summer started in 2020. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So yeah, that, that happened. And we, you know, finished out the year virtually and kind of were left with the state of mm -hmm. things going on and looking around. And then we started to, I guess, you know, we started to just have conversations with other people and other parents. And, and I think collectively there was a there was at least a, a small faction of, of folks and families that we knew that were looking around and, and watching all of the options for our children basically dissolve. It, you know, th- this isn't going to work for our kids to have to go do health screens and wear masks. And we're, we're just we're not going to do that and um, so I mean a, a pretty significant factor in how our how this came about actually has to do with the Waldorf story we had our local, we our had a local couple, Waldorf like, school yeah our, our local Waldorf school had actually approached us because you know just to give a little bit of context we are located on 130 acres outside of Asheville so we're most of which is undeveloped and just raw land. And then we bought up to national forest. And so we were approached by the Waldorf school about doing a couple of classrooms like outdoor and setting up, um, you know, like tent style Mm -hmm. classrooms so that they could continue to do in-person school Mm -hmm. and not have to do masks. And so that was how everything started out. It was all, it was all going great. And it was, um, Yeah, it was pretty fantastic. Yeah, it was
1: the fall of 2020 and the, the mandates at that point were if you were outside, you didn't have to wear a mask. So they, at that point, actually seemed still pretty aligned with what we value and we thought we were entering into an agreement that would work for them and for us and our family. And then it was about this time right before like the holiday season of 2020, where there was a new mandate issued that you had to wear masks even outside. And there was like churning conversations between us and the Waldorf school. Like, well, are you going to do this? And we're like, no, you don't have to, like there are loopholes. And so we started contacting lawyers, learning a lot about how to like, follow through with options so you didn't have to, you know, follow the mandates. And yeah. we thought that the Waldorf School would be really happy for a lot of the things that we found um, and be like, great, we can we can do this together. And you can probably guess where it's going. They didn't. And um when the children returned from the holiday breaks, they had instituted wearing masks outside. And it really changed everything. Like the children here had a sanctuary and the families that were aligned with us were just like so grateful because the kids would come on the land and it was like how it's always been. And these children just still experiencing childhood. And then once that bubble burst and my daughter came home and she's just within tears. She's like, mom, when the teacher went out of the classroom, the kids were on desks pointing, get on your mask. Like I'm not wearing my mask. Some of them on, some of them off. Like just everything infiltrated
0: lord of the flies yeah (laughs) it was
1: and so i think that was unfortunately the beginning of the end of our relationship with the waldorf school because it just kind of continued and then um the shock came into the conversation which we don't support and we're really shocked that they did and i mean at this point knowing where ASNA which is the national organization that oversees Waldorf schools like they've very much gone in that direction like they're agreeing with everything in the narrative and so our Waldorf school now isn't in that place and um
0: well it was it was an interesting time it was it was a very challenging time um in the sense that we were in constant conversation with a lot of the faculty and a lot of the families and seemingly like we were finding out, like you said, we were finding out all of these seemingly great news, like, okay, we have the private thing going for us. And we have the spiritual thing going for us. For sure. the, like the, 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 um, the idea of a faith-based organization came to us. And so we were really excited to share that. And um, so there was, there was a lot of mixed reviews or feeling like we're, we're talking and bringing a lot of really exciting news, but it being kind of falling on deaf ears. And so it, in the tumultuousness of that time, it was also really allowed us to educate ourselves around what options we have in order to continue to operate as a, you know, as normal.
1: Regardless of what the mandate being told that we have to do. Yeah.
0: And, um, you know, one of our, one of our good friends, runs a uh, nature program and he actually used the terminology that um, he wanted to keep his his nature program open regardless of the mandates and he didn't want to put masks on kids he said that he was going to declare his uh, program an essential service <laughs> and and keep things going regardless so that was to see somebody doing something he had a really great way of framing that and um, so that was you know little pieces like that, little gems came up and and we discovered a couple of things. I mean, we we reconnected with the idea of the PMA, which is something that we knew about through midwifery, which is a private membership association. And so you know getting people to agree to do things privately, outside of any um, you know overseeing, overseeing body, any sort of system. So that was one piece that really came together. And so we began to implement that. And we also learned about the 508C1A, which is a ecclesiastical trust. And we, were, we had the good fortune to be connected with a few people that knew about this already. And so, um, so those are both things that we have set up in, in the um, organization of ATA, and so as you know, things ended mm-hmm. with that school year, with the 2020 school year, 2020 right. going into 2021. Um, that was when. It was room.
1: actually with the the man that he mentioned that runs the outdoor nature based program. He's a good friend of ours, and it's called On the Forest Floor. And they actually hold the majority of their programs on our land and have for six or seven years. And so he came to us. And um, interestingly enough, it was also from a bit of a desperate place, because when he said he didn't want to put masks on kids in the woods, about 90% of his staff who had been with him for almost 10 years quit. And it was, I mean, people who are very primitive skills based, like you would never, ever guess like somebody wearing their own like hide from the roadkill like but you know um and so he was he came to us and he's like well maybe we should do something together i know you guys have you know been in and out of this and what happened with the waldorf school and it was through those conversations where we're like let's bridge together your primitive skills your nature-based education with more of what we hold and some core academics um so for a few months we were meeting with Him and a couple other people who are interested in creating. Then he actually got a resurgence of enrollment and new staff, and he was like, "Not to leave you guys, but I'm out because my program's booming." And we're like, "Uh, "Do we still do this?" And um,
4: I mean, we did. It
0: was it was a bit bittersweet. Yeah, I mean, it was super happy for him. (laughs) I wouldn't have wanted Forest Floor to end. Yeah, I'm glad that it came back with the vigor that it did, and we were. (laughs) okay, I guess it's us but, now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty pivotal there where we, uh, you know, so we, that, that kicked things off and we just kind of decided that, all right, we're going to just go for this. So we started.
1: Well, there was at the time a good, I mean, I think several three or four different groups of freedom based people or that or, organizations that popped up around us and there was a big movement for that um Asheville is overall a very liberal town even though we're in North Carolina so it didn't really work for us anymore to go anywhere um so we started hosting farmers markets actually first initially and we had then a pretty big like music festival on our land where it was just Amazing people were so happy, like they're like outside in the sun hugging, and like this is incredible. And yeah,
0: that was May May, May of twenty
1: twenty one. Yeah, so and, uh, that that helped to build the momentum for our program initially, and uh, continuing to you know, go through that summer, and then opening opening our doors for the first time in fall of twenty twenty one as ADA, and we had about fifty students um from three and a age three and a half to fifteen. Um so kindergarten through middle school really. And um yeah I mean there's so much to that. <laughs> we learned so much. Continuing to build and create and redefine what it is we're offering and why. Um but I think a really big piece too is there was a, a tipping point. I think mine was earlier in midwifery. I don't exactly know if this came to you before we were working together on the school, where it was just so clear that I didn't want to fight and fight the system anymore. And it had been a part of the midwifery for sure, because I'm interfacing from a home to a hospital at times, or with the medical model is still present for a lot of women when they're pregnant. Um, but really, how do we build new systems that are just what we want to see? Like a lot of people were going to school board meetings and picketing. And I'm just like, no, like I don't want to do that anymore. Let's just create. Let's build it. Let's create the new systems. And so that was a really big part and still is you know, of what we're doing and what we talk about with people that, yes, it's coincides with the pandemic. And there were components of that that pushed us into it. But it's not really about that. It's about reestablishing who we are as human beings and what we want for the future of humanity. And from that, the model that we've created isn't anything that I've found to exist and that has really nothing to do with COVID like it's Mm -hmm. it does and it doesn't at the same time yeah
0: Yeah, and it was it was definitely a um, a balance though of there was so much unknown with Mm -hmm. continuing forward with okay we're gonna we're gonna continue to hold space for children and families to come together in the way that we were viewing is like this is our basic human right to be together and to be in person and to be doing things right. and a- at that time there was a lot of unknowns as far as what are what's the blowback going to be mm-hmm. you know are we going to have people picketing
1: us us yes. And yeah.
0: are we going to have so there was a really uh, kind of a tricky line to walk mm-hmm. at that time because we were encountering you know i'm sure as as so many people were encountering how to how to navigate through these new (laughs) structures that we find ourselves in i mean there's so many times when we'd be you know in town and in an in an establishment or somewhere and you know you're the only person in this entire place without a mask on um you know so that was a lot of our experience in the outside world and then living almost like this double life where we mm-hmm. had these <laughs> gatherings of, you know, sometimes a couple hundred people on a weekly basis where no one had a mask on and we were living sort of in this interesting contrast. You know, sometimes you would forget going to town and be like, Oh, right. That's still happening. You know, yeah good portion of these establishments. I can't go in because mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, do X, Y, Z or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, you know, maintaining the position of creation and really staying focused on that has been a, a big priority while simultaneously equipping ourselves with knowledge and tools to, you know, in the event of something happening, how, what, how are yeah, we going to deal with this? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the saying of like, you know, trust in God and tie your horse kind of thing. <laughs> So um, yeah, just, that was a that was an important piece for me to speak to because they were they were so enmeshed at the time. There was a lot of excitement and a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. <laughs> um, Eduardo,
3: you got a question?
2: Yeah, if I may, we can just retract just a bit here because your story is interesting to me. How all of this just got together, came together. But I'm surprised. I have a. Like just <laughs> I'm surprised that Waldorf would behave this way, you know,
0: yeah uh
2: yeah. it's it's they're supposed to be uh non authoritarian um alternative schooling, it's supposed to be you know this holistic approach to children's way of learning it, it it just and then for them to come out and I mean even their teachers are educated not by a traditional like you know, like a university, it's if they have their own education to train teachers to become a world of teacher. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I, my background in early childhood education, I, you know, this is obviously not healthy for kids to have. And we had two of my friends come on to what's left that are professionals and who are, who worked with kids. I mean, I'm just using that word professionals. I think that's what people like to hear. But I'm just saying like, you know, these people who are have early like childhood Education, their background, early childhood education. that would say, like, you know, masks aren't necessarily not not like healthy for small children, especially at that age. who need to have verbal cues and are learning how to read and write. I mean, not that world of teachers how- pushes that because I know their approach isn't about like it's all very centered on um ch- children led, child led. It's just that experience of yours, just <laughs> yeah, it,
1: so, it was so really mind blowing for us. I mean, I had actually been a part of that school since the first year they began when they were very small now they're a substantial Waldorf school
0: which was 2012
1: it was 10 years and it was before that even 2011, 2011. yeah okay. um and if, so people that I had known and had watched my children grow like my older boys had went until they were too old to be there and they just it was like all of those relationships just ended.
0: Well, and in well, <sighs> well, they do stay with the same they teacher. They stay with
1: the same teacher. So like right. my children have been with the same teachers. And um, yeah, it it was shocking, truly. Especially, but they're not
2: supposed to be about tech either.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, like they went online and thinking thinking that we still had like some connections and they were not really going with all. They were actually the only Waldorf school in North Carolina that wasn't masking and the fall of 2020. So they were still like fringe and we we're like, great, like we're gonna get through this together. And then when that shifted, it, it was it was really tough for us and for our children. They actually went, um, I mean, we talked a little bit about how much we'd share about this, but I do think it's relevant um, that when we started to speak out about the shot, when when that came into the picture, which was the end of the school year of 2021, and we were like, we do not support this on this property, and we knew some of the teachers had gotten it, and we didn't tell them they couldn't be here. But we felt it was really important that the community knew that that's not what we were supporting. And when that became like a known, <laughs> a known fact in the community, they left within a day. They actually packed up and left. Went over a twelve a twelve hour period. And we were out of town and our children who were in that, in the school here on our property, our two girls came home and their classrooms were gone. They're everything that they had known just gone for years. Like my daughter had been in the program for five years and yeah. she didn't, I mean, that was the end of it. Um, yeah.
0: And our, and our other daughter was, it was three years yeah. in that same yeah. class.
1: But again, Does you stay like,
2: with the same teacher. With, yeah.
1: Yeah. For mm-hmm.
2: until they're old enough. Yeah. And
1: then, yeah. But again, like then looking at the whole organization of Asna and these things that just don't match up, like how can you hold the philosophies of Rudolf Steiner and then think that you should put a mask on a child and it just
2: Use tons of tech?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
4: So Amazing. of the like of the original students um that joined you, mm-hmm. were they I mean, were some of the Waldorf Waldorf students and families Um, kind of sticking with you from there or were people in the community finding you through like the music festival or like how did you initially kind of get this off the ground especially given that it sounds like there was actually quite a lot of hostility in your Mm -hmm. surrounding community
1: there was the aspect of these larger freedom communities that then connected to ones across the country that I think were really helpful and I last year and this school year we've had as many people move here from other locations to attend our school than local from costa rica we have somebody coming from italy right now from vermont new york chicago um, so it's been it's definitely been west coast yeah an interesting mix of local people and then people coming traveling here um we do have a couple other alternative type Schools or they're not really schools, but whatever we call ourselves homeschool organization. I don't know. Um, we all do it differently in our area that are a bit more freedom freedom aligned, but there aren't any that actually are saying we aren't masking kids. like we aren't in support of our of the shop. like none of our teachers or staff can have that to work here. Um, so it is a pretty specific like niche that we have for sure. Um,
0: well, but just a circle back around to the Origin like the question there i think that the, the fallout from the, the termination of the relationship with the waldorf school and here was the intensity was such that there wasn't anyone that stayed yeah from that community
1: really like they all really um, there wasn't any child that enrolled here that had been in the waldorf school
0: mm-hmm. yeah and <sighs> so yeah it was it was um pretty concentrated intent yeah. at that time yeah. so um, you know I, I, I don't know it was it was such a um, a sudden and shocking event that it almost like just completely wiped the slate clean mm-hmm. of that community and and having a, an association here and just imagine that's horrible for your children.
2: I was gonna ask
4: like how did your this is the last question I'll ask and then I'll let and Andy jump in but um how did your kids handle this like I mean the trauma of kind of being just cut off from Mm -hmm. what they were used to for so many years but then also were they excited in the end to kind of help you build this new Um,
1: world? it's mixed (laughs) for sure I think our youngest loves it right but when you you get into the aspect of how the teenagers have been affected by this and the lack of ability to even naturally rebel in the ways that they should and to find community outside of their family structure when we're presenting to our 13-year-old yeah you're just going to go to school here again she's a little like really but overall if you were to ask them they're they're utterly grateful that they've been able to continue to they understand i they do. I believe on a deep level why we are doing what we're doing, and they they're happy about that. They do say that, even if they might complain a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard. and especially, especially for the older kids to lose their social networks. my teens who were like beyond our program, um, they really suffered. They were in the other private school in town separate from ours that Jay had mentioned earlier, which, Completely went with the narrative immediately, and so we pulled them out of there, and they they lost all of those connections too.
5: Go ahead, Kenny. Um, so I'm curious. So you you've spoken uh, about Waldorf. Uh, I've heard that school before because one of them, some of my nephews went there for a bit, and I saw the change. You know, uh, once they stopped using technology all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I'm curious about. Um, the values that kind of guide your um um you know academy and uh so what are some of the principles that 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 you know you exercise in, in your vision
0: yeah well we have we have drawn some inspiration from the and the from Steiner you know and, mm-hmm. and we're we're starting to really make a distinction between Waldorf as a brand and Steiner inspired things. Because it's it's sort of a, there's been a bifurcation there. So yeah, there is a lot of Steiner that we are inspired by um, incorporating a lot of crafts and song and um, following the rhythms of the year with, uh, you know, celebrations and spending a lot of time in nature, spending time away from technology, mm-hmm. EMFs.
1: Well, we have like we initially founded with this idea of three pillars. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you could I can speak, speak to that of, the yeah. three
0: pillars. Yeah. So we, in in the course of that first, I'd say several months of really, you know, co- have, how things coalesced with, with what became Ata, um, there was it distilled down in, in really trying to grasp what the essence of what was what were our guiding principles we did we came up with three pillars and it was nature immersion and it was um like vibrational principles like harmonic, so, integration. harmonic integration vibrational principles which was drawing a lot from you know what my background with music and um harmonics and basically just like the, the vibrational quality of you know that, that has some crossover with nature, and then the uh, the therapeutic aspect, which we've come to clarify now as therapeutic arts, and so that can be something that we've now been able to articulate as a, a series of tools and modalities that are aimed at self knowledge, self mastery, and Creating a mind-body-spirit activation on a cellular level that provides the tools for these children to navigate, you know, being being alive, being human in this world, and furthermore, coming out of a an educational environment and not needing to seek reparative. Mm-hmm. Measures after, the, after yeah. the case. So that's what the thera- that's where the therapeutic arts comes in. And you know that the nature piece is really huge because we do have that working all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know it's we're we're in nature to such a degree that that's uh, you know, it's there passively, whether you know it or not. And then we also are intentionally interacting with the natural world in a variety of ways. Um, The
1: the older children are outside all the time. We have built timber frame pavilions and they aren't quite finished, but when they're finished they will be able to close and have wood stoves when it is really cold. Um, So we do have these geodesic domes that you can put heaters in right now, but it's The idea that you're outside as much as you absolutely can be until you need to be in. And um, like forest floor is here on our property and they're outside every day with no shelter at all. But we're coming from the place where this maybe is more of a Steiner quality, where if you're going to be evoking in the higher parts of the brain, you might want to consider some warmth for a child. So it's like when they're doing math, if they're not doing math by looking at fractals of leaves, they might be inside warming up if it's February. But other than that, I mean, they're very much outdoors at all times, learning from nature in the passive way that Jay Jay mentioned. Um, Our kindergarten children actually have an indoor structure that they can go in when they need to, but they're still outside absolutely as much as they can be. Yeah, but the therapeutic arts is, it's been really fun actually defining it. It's For me, pulling together a lot of my background that I've gone through, with like, the Waldorf. And then we mentioned earlier Sudbury, which if anybody knows those models, they're like, they're exactly the opposite. I'm like, yeah, it's really cool. Let's see how we can bring them together um, and be curious about it. So offering structure and rhythm and more of these nurturing qualities, but then also providing children the opportunity to speak to what they want to learn and be a part of choosing, which is that Sudbury piece that Waldorf actually doesn't offer so much because it's a pretty strict and specific curriculum that they follow. Um, And that the therapeutic piece really does tie into both of our backgrounds before this. Like how do we create a system for children where they don't have to heal their entire adult life from what happened in school and not have this broken system that they need to heal from. Um, So we've incorporated a big part of what we do is we have natural horsemanship. And a super awesome equine team that bring equine therapy to the kids on a weekly basis. We also have music with Jay's like component of bringing this therapeutic harmonic piece to it. And then we have what we call our therapeutic therapeutic block, where we bring in different teachers from the community. Where we had a barefoot hiker come in. We had drama fun. therapy yeah. for six weeks. We're doing like a. Emotional communication type class right now, Um, but there's there's lots of different things that we fit into that slot as you could only imagine. And then we also still have core academics happening um, with the older kids and the, the kindergarten is very much a Waldorf style classroom and approach.
4: Jay, do you want to give an example or two of harmonic integration? and like what that could possibly look like in this thing mm-hmm. or just super curious yeah. what sorts of yeah.
0: ideas? well i mean i like to i like to work with these things on a, a very practical level so i spent a lot of time or i've spent a lot of time and have spent a lot of time with these kids doing things that integrate breath and movement so um you know i last year we did a lot of uh, qigong with the kids and used the six healing sounds so you have vibration you have breath you have intention and you have movement working together within the body and you have a series of exercises or movements that you work with and you learn and it it correlates with different organ systems in the body it correlates with different the different seasons of the year and and i mean i i'm a fan of five elements um you know chinese medicine um, and so it's it's really about connecting the different pieces of ourselves together and then seeing how they match up with the reflections of the, the larger cycles of the natural world and so you know things like movement and song and then interaction with you know, how does this apply to things that we can take with us and simple simplicity in the sense that it's, it's attainable. It's within grasp. And and I bring the same aspect into my, my music class in the sense that, I don't know, for right now I'm working with the, the baritone ukulele, which is a four stringed instrument. It's the same tuning as a guitar minus the, the two lower strings, the two bass strings. And so I like to approach the, this instrument, you know, this is, this is the particular lens that we're studying music through, but approaching it in a way where it's offering accessible tools so that every kid can make music. Every kid can create music. Mm-hmm. It's it's akin to how I would approach reading and writing. It's akin to how I would approach mathematics, where these are tools that we have available to us, and over the course of human development, they're things that we have to interact and express and calculate and um, you know make sense of both human interactions together, but also how do we construct our model of what the world is, and so offering music in this way where it's very accessible to everyone. And and almost, you know, I'm I'm subversively working with this idea that music and being a musician and playing music, isn't this exclusive thing that we sit and watch somebody do. It's something that we all do. Like we all speak, like we we all think your heart beats, how you walk, you know, it's, it's um, integrated into our, physiology the the the, um, the harmonic relationship of the distances in our bones in our hands in our arms to our body and all of those things are also reflected in the intervallic relationships that are found in the common pieces that make up music as we know it um, harmonic progressions melodic contour all of these things and, I, and i'm not getting too deep into these concepts with the kids, but I'm more just working with it on a a level where I'm striving to provide them tools so that they can immediately have access to the nuts and bolts of what makes up music and how that, you know, integrates into our ourselves. (laughs) So it's a, it's a work in progress and it's, um, but it's a, it's a big passion of mine. And so I enjoy Working with that. So,
3: yeah, that's, hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the questions that come up for me now um, are like given I've come from a brick and mortar public education background, which is definitely not Waldorf, um, or not, And I'm not sure I know, I'm familiar with Steiner to know like what, how Steiner and Waldorf are connected. But I know like the, the questions that come up for me are like, you know, do you have other teachers that are involved in this? Mm -hmm. There's parents that are involved. To what extent, like you don't have a credentialing process like that we we would have. So how did you come together with a team of teachers and parents? And to what extent was, was this education process that was constructed? How much was it? Was it just your two vision? Was it your team's vision? Does it come from also from parents? I'm just kind of wondering how your school is kind of put together almost, almost nuts and bolts in a way. And secondly, how normal our public education schools strike children based on age and what they say are grades, and we keep mm-hmm. them separated. Um, how does your school deal with that that breadth of ages? Because that's one of the challenges that I've seen for some of the freedom schools, and the one here in, in the Bay Area, Luminaries, struggles to really break out of a of a freedom education experience beyond elementary you know once they get into middle school and high school Mm -hmm. they really struggle to integrate those those students um some of it is they feel like they have to de-school those kids they're so used to just being told what to do and they kind of wait um so i am kind of curious if you could tell me a little bit nuts and bolts how your school is almost constructed in terms of your staff I don't want to use that word. Maybe that might not be a word you would I use. I know it's
1: like the words you use, like right. So, but not that anymore.
3: But translate um, that into, and also, yeah. to what extent is this? Is there an interplay between the parents and mm-hmm. the and the teachers in terms of what the day or how how the school operates?
1: Yeah. So the way that it is this year is a little bit different than last year. Um, as we go on, we learn. But right now, we are due a three day week: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And the kindergartners are just in school or class or whatever you want to call it um, for the, a full day from 10 to 4 with two teachers. So we have a lead teacher and an assistant in that class. It's a pretty common way that like a more Waldorf style, style class we put together. Um, the the older children have Core academics on Tuesday and Thursday, so they do a math block in the morning and then a language arts block in the afternoon, which also varies to bring in science and more of that. Again, like more of the Steiner-Waldorf type where you're having main lesson, where you're incorporating many different topics to learn the writing skills, things like that. Um, And then on Wednesday, it's our therapeutic day. So we have a block of equine therapy, music, and then that therapeutic piece that I mentioned before. And we do have outside teachers coming in and facilitating all of those classes. Um, parents have parents are highly involved in what we're doing, and they're not really teaching. We do have teachers, which is something that is different than other homeschool groups I've been a part of. And um, initially what we chose to do, knowing that we could have done a lot of different things, as we all, like you mentioned, want to create these new ways of supporting our kids there's a lot of undoing that needs to be done by both the children and the staff. And how do we work together to create as we go? Which isn't isn't always quite easy because there are a lot of the things that we've been doing for so long that continue to creep in. Um, I don't know. What, what else would you say about that?
0: As far as the structure? Yeah, I mean, we do have... We we have set it up so that there are, like, for, for me, music is my, you know, one of my, my biggest passions as far as education. And so it is, it is set up in a sense where we have the, the guiding principles in place and we have a, a general consensus among everybody, what, what our aim is, but there is a lot of leeway also for the teacher to facilitate their class in the way that they see fit Mm -hmm. um you know there's there's enough of a congruence there that we have a certain amount of Mm -hmm. just trust and faith that they know how to do what they're going to do and that their genius is going to come forth and shine and then that's going to be contagious to the kids Mm -hmm. and so that's how we have really tried to set that up um
1: yeah we 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 chose consciously to create a program where parents could drop their children off. That's what was the collective desire of the community around us at the time. Um, but we do have parents who come in and offer a subject for an afternoon. um we have regular meetings with our parents to hear their feedback on what we're doing um I had a thought, but I lost it. Um, we also, well, one of our one of our facilitators, I mean, we don't necessarily call them teachers. I don't know the right word, like mentors, facilitators, um, but she is also works with Forest Floor and then works with us. So she brings a lot of the primitive skills also to our curriculum with the children where they are roasting things over fire in a traditional Appalachian way while they're also writing a story about it at the same time. Um, we did create our own set of evaluations because at the beginning of the year and we're learning what that looks like, because it is, I guess we found it to be important as we continue to see what we're creating to be able to show, well, is this working? <laughs> is it something that is bringing, you know, creating children to have these skills that we'd like them to have along the way? So we're building an evaluation system that It's pretty flexible, but it's I think it's been helpful for for everybody involved. Um, And as far as like the credentialing piece, I was never a licensed or certified midwife. I very early knew that on a deep level that that would hurt my midwifery care rather than help it. And that was actually through my experience in Washington State. That's where I did most of my midwifery training and teaching initially and watching Licensed midwives at a birth who had to answer to the state rather than the mother in the moment, and I'm like, I never want to do that. And we have a nice collection of people who understand and believe in that. Here, we've had um, a couple different facilitators, speech language, speech language path, speech language pathologists come from California. Like, I'm letting go of these things. We're like, great. Let's talk about what that means and why. And so I we don't really track that but we have people here who have had credentials that have consciously let them go um, and we want to offer a space for people to explore what that means and to still be recognized for their gifts and talents without needing somebody outside of themselves telling them they're valid to do whatever they believe in is
3: true yeah and I know Kenny you got a question but I have one follow-up I'd like to do um, first off, I think that's probably the best most concise expression of what a credential really is, which is that we as teachers will answer to the state before we will answer to the child or to yeah. the student. And that really is the value of my credential. It is making me say, I will honor what the state asks, which is, I think, why all of us teachers went nuts during this time and we mm-hmm. went the wrong way when we said it was about relationships, when we said it was about that stuff. And and even here in California or in Sacramento, we have a person in, in our group workers and students for choice who had to leave their Waldorf school because she refused to mask and things like that. And I think her child had to go as well. So this is across the country. Um, The question I would have in terms of when you mentioned the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Mm -hmm. does that mean that the parents would also say, well, they, will they see that as sort of, well, I'm bringing my student to school on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to, to Ada, but then on Monday and Friday, and maybe Saturday, I'll homeschool. Is that how the parents are treating like, is it kind of almost like a hybrid homeschool school Mm -hmm. model kind of thing?
1: I mean, it. I do think it really varies from parent to parent depending on their own values and needs for their child. Like we are offering it with what core academics we bring that like for me, it's enough for my kid. Like I don't really do much else. We've created this model where I think that they're getting the fundamentals in reading and writing and math to be able to navigate in the world. Once you have those things to me, you can learn anything you want. And that's kind of That's what I want you to do. I want you to then be fueled by this inner desire to learn more about a science or to get deeper into grammar theory because you want to write a novel, that kind of thing. Um, There's other parents here who believe in more academics for their kids and they do supplemental tutoring, something or whatever they might do at home. There's parents who actually would like less academics than we do and we work with them too. Um, on, just to speak like in the logistical sense, here on our property, we actually have that outdoor program running that we've talked about on the forest floor coinciding with ours. So there are children who actually enroll in forest floor on Monday and or Friday, so they could be here five days a week. Um, we have actually quite a few children on Monday doing that. So they are also in this other program together on Mondays, but.
0: Well, and last year we had a four day week. We, we did. did. We did Monday through Thursday mm-hmm. and we did that based on another local school that was doing a four day well, week.
1: Not a school, but a homeschool had okay. cooperative. Well, another yeah.
0: program that like was our- doing a four day week. And it seemed to be appealing to a lot of people mm-hmm. to have four days, um, instead of five give a little bit of and now we're like well three days
1: <laughs> like why not <laughs> um and um, it's yeah it's been great in that sense to just continue to unravel the structures that we think we need to be inside of and then be like does this work or does it not work like this year we went from ten to four instead of so nine to three and all the parents are like yay and I'm like really you don't need a <laughs> child here at nine they're like no I'm like well I don't either um it's, it's really beautiful to be in however much it brings its challenges, but to be in this creative space and then to be able to talk to other people about it and say, we can, we can support you in this too. I can share what I've learned because I've heard so much over the last couple of years. And I mean, one thing that we've noticed a lot, even with local freedom organizations or even bigger national ones is there's a lot of discussion and a lot of giving of information, which is really needed and helpful. But then what do you do? What do you do with that when you have a kid looking at you at the kitchen table, like I'm bored. And so that's something that we really bring to the conversation with parents who come or the staff that we have is like, how do we build these systems rather than just talk about what needs to change? And we definitely don't have it all figured out, but it's really awesome to to meet and connect with other people who are in that process, and to troubleshoot the challenges that that arise.
4: I think it's so interesting, just the amount of unraveling we have to do. As,
2: mm-hmm.
4: just like, who decided that kids have to be in school five days a week, mm-hmm. and then just never question it, right? Yeah, so and to get like,
1: really creative because it does. It can feel overwhelming and it can be like well how do i do this without this resource or that resource or how do i do this when i have to go to work and or not you know and um i really believe that we're in a super unique time probably everybody has said that about the time they lived in but um where we can we can recreate you know what what humans are doing and support each other in the process. Yeah.
0: There was something that, um, Andy, that you said in one of the podcasts that we listened to about having a, a sort of like a revelation of seeing teachers as like low level priests in an indoctrination mm-hmm. structure. And so it is it is really interesting. The the things that were because like we're creating something, we're not really trying to completely obliterate what has come before you know there, there's this fine line where we wanted to create a system that was from the kids perspective they're just going to school you know they're not they're not thinking of all of these things on an experiential basis of like oh i'm in this experimental program that's a hybrid of this and this and that they just like you know they get up in the morning they go to school and then they come home and so we have this unique vantage point of seeing (laughs) the behind the scenes of of what's going on and really striving to strike this balance of what we're continuing choosing to can carry on from the systems that we've become so accustomed to and become so reliant on because there like there are a lot of families that want to drop off their kids at school and then pick them up at the end of the day. And so, you know, trying to really find the pieces of that 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 work for, you know, our demographic. And then, you know, we are also really invested in, you know, outreach as far as helping to establish these types of things for whatever that will look like. You know, the, the, the model that we're working with is, Malleable and scalable to really anywhere. and so um, you know, working towards because no matter how much we do here, we can really only cater to so many families and so many kids. And this is going on everywhere. so it's it's important to continue this process as far as connecting with folks in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. And you know, sharing some of the the really valuable lessons that we've learned along the way, and then you know, I'll hopefully, learning in the process from other folks, other places, but to really continue to disseminate this idea of um, you know whatever this whatever this is collectively <laughs> that we're doing here, which is it feels really deep and important, mm-hmm. and, and almost beyond just like a single word description. So.
5: I'm I'm curious.
0: Um, is what is asked
5: of the parents in order for their kids to participate? And and maybe a follow up question would be: uh, How do you fund you know programs? Or is there any significant funding needed you know in order to carry out these activities?
1: Yeah, it's that's been that's been a challenge for sure. I mean, we do we do charge a tuition, you would say, but it doesn't cover. That really doesn't even cover the operating costs. So it's been a huge labor of love for us that that's all we've done probably 12 hours a day for the last two years is try and determine different ways this thing can work. Um, we can't get a lot of the traditional grants one, because we're not a private school or even a charter school or anything like that. And two, because we're offering things that most organizations don't support at this point. And even like we have a little, we have an event coming up. We're doing like a, what we're calling a sovereign supper, where it's like, a, we've had a chef volunteer their time. We've had a local farm volunteer, meet you know, give us meat, things like that to just create a beautiful fundraising event. And we're getting shadow banned everywhere. Like I just got two more pictures of how our pages got taken down from here and from there. And so it was really tough for sure. Like, Um, We went to, Jay and I went to the Weston A. Price and Children's Health Defense Conferences that were back-to-back in Knoxville in October, and it was amazing to really, to interface with people that um, were really excited about what we're doing, and like, hey, throw us, throw us a couple thousand, because we don't want to shut down. Um, We need to, be able to keep this going so getting the word out sharing it because no school operates just from tuition like there are always other funding sources to keep things going um so we're looking at potentially different ways to even operate our structure next year if we have to to keep something happening if we can't do it the way we're doing it right now but
0: yeah and so i mean as far as what's asked of parents we Mm -hmm. have you know we have tuition we have a couple, you know, we have a certain amount of volunteer time that's, mm-hmm. that's required from each uh, family. And so we're working with trying to, I mean, we're really aiming at trying to make this thing sustainable mm-hmm. and ultimately regenerative. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is a bit of a, a puzzle that we're in the midst of trying to solve right mm-hmm. now. So, mm-hmm.
4: And you guys do like a sliding scale for your tuition too, we right? so Yeah, you we know, do. Do a uh-huh. lot of
1: a lot of people take advantage of that or. Yeah, for sure. And we offer some like exchange and tuition for extra volunteer time. Um, we do offer like tuition remediation for people who are teaching. Um,
0: yeah. And I will say like last year, one of our lessons with, you know, having pretty much double the number of, of families that we had, we've, I'd say we were a lot more fluid and learn, you know, allowing things to happen in ways where we're, you know, we can help you out. We can, um, you know, we can accommodate you. And so that's been something that we've had to be a little bit more discerning around this time around. We have
1: about 25 children this year, and it was a conscious choice to have less and to work more on some of the foundational pieces because we really did jump into it so yeah. it's so big and so fast
0: working on yeah. stability and foundation mm-hmm. this this go um which you know inevitably meant kind of focusing and condensing our uh, operation mm-hmm. really
1: And we have had like facilitators or teachers who volunteer their time for sure and it's a very clear and frank conversation of like, we're creating something here. We don't really know how long it's going to go on for, but it's, it's great. Like you want to come in and play with us. And so people who can resonate with that are here and doing and other people that's, there's too much um, like lack of clarity or consistency or too much unsure components to that, that it hasn't worked and that's okay too. Mm-hmm.
4: What are you guys most excited about moving forward? I'm sure there's
1: a lot, but if you had to highlight one thing. Um, I am excited about bringing more of the therapeutic arts because that is like the things that are my background to the program. Um, midwifery, home birth midwifery, if you're not a nurse midwife in North Carolina is illegal. So when I moved here I was, I mean, my whole being a home birth midwife, I also was on the fringe and working outside of the system in lots of places and time before this. Um, so I was always kind of getting creative. It's like, how do you do what you do? And they're saying you can't do it. Um, where I have done a lot of work with perinatal mental health, I've worked with brain spotting, which I love and it's kind of it's similar to EMDR, but more client led. Um, So bringing some more of those modalities to the children um, is what really excites me. And we have some frequency healing devices here on our property. We have a harmonic egg, we have a PMF machine, we have a Rife machine and how we continue to investigate and learn the ways to use technology for good. Also like our, our school is completely screen-free and it will stay that way. It's EMF-free. It's important to us that those things are here. But then if we can look at some of these ways that you can also find healing through frequency or technology and help guide the children with that or the families um, is important to us too. Yeah. I'm also really excited about building the equine program, which is something that we're doing and being able to bring horses and the concept of natural horsemanship and not that just horses are here for us to ride. That they are huge, huge teachers um, to the children, and of course, every child—that's like their favorite class. So, it's that's cool.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean, I'm
5: yes. Yeah.
0: No, go ahead. I'm excited about um, continuing to hone and dial in the infrastructure mm-hmm. that we have here, like the physical infrastructure, the buildings. I'm I'm really enjoying being part of that process and working with wood and buildings and kind of like this, uh, it, you know, it's, it's uh, an interesting intersection of the natural world and then the quantized structure of you know modern
1: what humans do. Yeah. With the yeah, you know, so
0: yeah. I, I find that really interesting and fascinating. So like, you know, learning how to, um, set things up like we have a we have this biogas toilet system that we're working on and building and installing and it basically it's like an outhouse but you harvest the um, the methane from the waste and that can be used as fuel for heating or for cooking um, you know kind of bringing some of these things together in, and into this mix and then having that be there as a example for the kids to, to see how we can move towards a, a better relational mm-hmm. position with us and the natural world so yeah I'd say that and then also networking and continuing to work with other locations mm-hmm. to establish things of this ilk for you know
3: for what works for that community um, Okay, um, so I was on the National Coalition for Health Integrity um, meeting this week um, where we did talk about some people's <laughs> homeschool models. Um, and it was great and it was really that was where I first came into this notion that you could start with almost a hybrid that a school a school that starts doesn't have to supply all the meeting all the needs like you could work with homeschool parents to say, mm-hmm. we'll supply this part. it's a division of labor and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, that seems almost doable then. Um, But I will say that one of the things that came across from all the schools was almost like, well, we can get this online and we can get that online and we can f- get access to those teachers online, and there didn't seem to be an awareness of the degree to which having left one set of slave masters, they were now I feel like potentially going into a actually a much more pernicious set of slave masters through tech and through the idea that online could be a way that a school can be structured. Um, I know that, you know, Jay, you came to me or I got your name from you. You must be familiar with, familiar with Jake's work. I'm wondering if you can speak to your own feelings, both spiritually, but also in terms of politically about the role of tech in education, um, based on, uh, just based on anything. I'm wondering what your feeling is because currently I'm now feeling like all that has to go, um, and can't be a part of the educational process, or has to be minimized as much as possible. And then in the future, if we're ever gonna have a real world, it'll have to be eliminated. Um, but I'm kind of wondering where you both come from on, on that feeling in terms of the role of tech in education.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it's a it is a it still feels like a bit of a conundrum to me. Um, you know, we we largely have not incorporated Ooh. Or we haven't incorporated any no. technology no. into into our system mm-hmm. right now, and I do feel like there's some interesting things going on with um, you know technical technology that is using frequency huh? to work with the human organism. But, yeah, um, you know we we work with a, a gentleman that creates um, you know organite and copper. Um I don't exactly know what to call them. There's I could grab one off the wall and show you real quick. Oh.
3: Yeah, we have some of those as well. Like there's yeah. these little little yeah. things that kind of minimize or yeah. frequencies.
1: I mean, we're
0: so these are beautiful. I mean, they're they're beautiful, they're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And we work with with these in our buildings and our spaces. Um and, you know, so I think it's, it's really for me, it's starting with some of the pieces that we have. Cause I like to look at, um, I like to look at some of the, the things that we have available to us as technologies and in, in a, in a basic sense, like, you know, breath and song. I like to think of like spiritual technologies or earth based technologies and beginning to build a bridge between, what is there and what has been there for millennia and where we're at now and then starting to weave back and forth somehow in a way where we can try and find some (laughs) way to do this Mm -hmm. that isn't going to be oppressive or, you know, subversively enslaving us in some way. Um, So that's kind of what I'm.
1: The online learning piece. We definitely resonate more with the agenda that's been going on behind that and still is. And I do think there is an opportunity or an option for that to end and for it not to be fueled by that agenda of the technocracy. But at this point in time, I don't see that happening. And so we are operating In a way where when my 14 year old needs to understand something, we actually hand her a dictionary and she's like, what is this? And we're like, this is how you learn that. Or an encyclopedia. Um, We don't at all really facilitate the children or encourage them to get on a computer to learn anything. We get books from the library and we talk about the importance of keeping our books around because that's also something that's going away. And how will we continue to teach and share knowledge because there's also the potential for all the technology just to stop at some point. We aren't in control of it. Somebody else is in control of this computer working right now. It's not me. I didn't create it. I don't run the internet. So what do we do if that stops? And so for us, we are working in a way where that can stop and we'll still keep going other than not being able to do zoom calls. But how the children are learning has nothing to do really with what they can get or find on a computer. And I feel okay with that knowing that out in the world when they're not with us, it's still everywhere. So I don't feel like I'm depriving them of it or they're going to end up stupid to technology. I haven't ever seen that happen with any child around me. Like they still know because I do, I do believe there is that piece of like when a child comes in they're aligned with what's going on. Like, why can my four-year-old run my iPhone and his grandma cannot? Like, there's something in us that's, like, coming into the planet at this time and understands things in a different way. It's just how it's been manipulated, at least for us, we believe, used in a detrimental way, which very much aligns with, like, the work of John Klychek or Charlotte Israbee or all of that, like, and it's something that I'm not 100% clear if all of our parents are on the same page, but I talk to them about it. I send them John. I mean, I go, I know he goes by Jacob, just didn't meet him until recently. So I'm still saying John, like I'll I send them all this podcast on THC. And I'm like, listen to this. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, for me, that's really important to right. talk about.
0: It it is for sure because we do we do have and you know going back to the um, what we experienced with the Waldorf school there was this attempt to eradicate any interaction with technology and mm-hmm. and what we witnessed with our our boys our older boys is that it almost created a vacuum of
1: than the desire for it right
0: having this That's how we've coveting been set that out. of this yeah. thing whether it's like video games or, or whatever and them needing to kind of find a way to play that out for themselves mm-hmm. and then hopefully come back around to a place of
1: which uh, in fact they thing. have and which they, is they pretty have awesome. really amazing yeah to
0: it was really like I, there i was
1: I mean, there was, nervous there a was while there. years where they were out of Waldorf school, they were homeschooled, they were in some day programs that were saying, you know, use the Internet, search for things, that kind of stuff and letting them. And then now they're telling me, yeah, I actually was playing video games all that time because you wouldn't let me. But now I don't because I see what it did. And I have the foundation that was created without this, that I can understand how it can be really detrimental to a person
0: so yeah i mean it's it's a fine line there because we don't we don't want to create a like a vacuum yeah. like that um, and then
1: also there's like i don't know if you read any of the book glow kids that's just fascinating about i mean there's a, there's a few different books there's a movie out on how technology affects the human brain and children and learning but um yeah it's it's intense stuff for sure and i really don't recommend it <laughs> you know and trying to find ways to do it without that because we still are humans with lots of knowledge to share and really it's that desire to share through story that's been co-opted by a computer but it's just a story that we're learning that we used to learn around a fire but now we learn through wikipedia search
3: um and you I mean, might
1: one of the Oh, I was just
4: going to say quickly, anyone, like one of the questions that I've asked myself a lot when I'm thinking about this question of tech and, you know, is it just like all evil is just the who benefits, right? And if we're talking about screens and, you know, all of the software and learning module technology that they use in mainstream education, right? The answer to that question is certainly not the student on so many levels. But if we're, I mean, I guess it depends how you define tech, but you know, I mean, if we're talking about harvesting the methane from the bathroom, right? I mean, that's tech, but that, like, who benefits, right? The earth, the community, mm-hmm. wildlife, everyone, right? If we're talking about the beautiful, was it organized or mm-hmm. like, you know, it's the craftsmen or the craftswomen, it's the people who get to use that, right? So I don't know. That's That's a helpful. I don't know, maybe not a panacea, but a helpful like question that I like to ask
3: myself. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing just to are you familiar with Allison McDowell's work as well? That yeah, yeah. She's been particularly around this issue of resonances and harmonics. That's been an area that she's been looking into mm-hmm. as a way of understanding what the our rulers are up to in terms of what they're getting into to try to understand how to uh-huh. control people. They're looking much more at it in the way that you're looking at it, Jay. <laughs> you know, like this humans are constructed okay. this way. And yeah. it's it's pretty amazing um what she's um un- finding in addition to the, her her ability to kind of see through what's going on with the, the technocratic takeover kind of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Um McDowell was some, she had some when I first discovered her, that was some pretty um hard hitting information that it was I had to kind of Titrate
1: the amount
0: that I listen. I was like, <laughs> "I knew it." I knew what I told you. It was
4: <laughs> I had to do some some vibrational healing myself after reading that blog. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I know we've talked about um, Waldorf. We've talked about Sudbury, um, and for audience members, we did. We actually did an episode where I went through some of these uh, approaches. Mm-hmm. So we'll share a link to the episode. Uh, where I, we did talk about even Summerhill in the UK and unschooling movement mm-hmm. that I, I learned about in the UK, and so when you talk about Sudbury approach, like is this is this is one of the alternatives, like the meshing of the democratic approach where kids are uh, invested in what happens, like how the agreements are are done in 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 your in your educational paradigm or your, <laughs> your space. Yeah. Uh, um, so do they have a democratic vote? They decide, they make choices, and it's very sociopolitical, mm-hmm. actually, right? Is that what you all do?
1: Yeah, we do a lot of that. Um, the children work to decide their the parameters, their boundaries. At the beginning of the year, we have times where we circle back around that. I mean, it would be rules, but it's not really rules, agreements, those things. And we're like, are these working? Are they not working? What would you do differently here? Um, and then also they ability to like I mentioned earlier request like what they're learning about and be a part of that process um which has been really that was important to me and I think has been really like the children love it they love to be able to feel like they are important in saying what's going on for them Mm -hmm.
2: and so grades are not a part of this way
1: of we do like a Hybrid of a narrative type evaluation that we've created is but we don't we don't have craze no
2: and then two things I think one is like also this this whole thing about the brain and how it affects children developmentally. We also have another episode where we invited two uh, other profession like these two um child development specialists that people can also look at that see how tech like shows how tech really affects. Development. Mm-hmm. Uh, the part where I'm I'm very curious, uh, so that's the link, we'll we'll add a link to the description. But the part where I'm very curious because normally Waldorf, at least here in San Francisco and other areas that I visited, like even in Mexico, we have Waldorf schools, but these schools are normally tend to be left-leaning communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you know where I'm heading with this, but like when the whole unmasking and the whole like during the pandemic, it really drew the lines for a lot of people that you were either like anti-vax, conservative, Mm -hmm. Trump supporter. This is the way people Mm -hmm. thought. And I'm not, I've never voted for Trump. I've never, and I was called a Trump supporter at one point myself. And then, Mm -hmm. so it's like, I, I, that's how people blank and white started labeling people. So I'm curious when the split began and you all created this, um, this approach, this 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 space for children to be in a more very holistic environment. What kind of students and families started attending? Did were they left leaning, right leaning, so to speak, according to the U.S. American uh, way of seeing um, the whole COVID and and pandemic uh, view?
0: Well, it, what we what I found is that in even in a little bit of a larger context than just in within ATA is that there was these groups that, that were forming around, you know, freedom and and things like that. And so there was these meetups and I would find myself in these interesting combinations of, of people where there would be, um, you know, good old Southern boys along Uh with Asheville new age hippies, (laughs) Uh you know, (laughs) (laughs) People that are, you know, they've got semi-automatic weapons and Trump stuff going on. And then there's other people that have, um, you know, personally, like J.D. and I, we don't have any political affiliation. I I really look at it as it's a, a puppet show and that I don't really see any point in making a distinction between left and right as far as like political affiliation. So I was actually able to speak the uh I don't know the conspiracy the art of conspiracy language with a lot of these people, whether they were newly awakening to these things or whether they'd been involved in it for, you know, I've been involved with conspiratorial ideas for, you know, 25 years or something. And since I was a since I was a teenager. Um so there is a bit of a mix within our uh organization here and the families but I do think it's sort of trending in that direction as far as unplugging from the polarization of the left, right paradigm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of people that were coming from a previously left leaning position. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that's like kind of the, the majority of folks. Um, but you know, there's, there's a variety for sure. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know, it'd be an interesting conversation or poll to take within our community (laughs) Mm -hmm. to just see what folks journeys were and what their trajectory was and where they would state that they are now. And we have a really
1: really large variety. There was a family visiting today. They were like potential, a potential family coming. So they were asking us like, what's your parent body? Like, what do they do? And we have everything from what's like what
0: oh you know ex military ex military um, facial
1: recognition designer to raw food chef to acupuncturist um, (laughs) to to a real estate agent. I mean, really, it's a mix of people who are all moving towards more of this sovereign peace. What does that mean? How do we define it? versus how we used to define ourselves because for sure i'm kind of like was it npr or was it me i don't know but somehow we don't work any anymore we used to um so a lot of people like having that similar conversation of what you know what what am i now and how do i define that for myself and and then my children obviously because it's what we're doing here
0: well and i had and this with this family that came today to uh certainly you know check out the school i had a in a conversation with the parents and um he mentioned something like because we talked about what you know what would have been predicted if you would have taken a hundred people and lined them up two three years ago, four years ago and said, you know, who's gonna go this direction and who's gonna go that direction? And the surprise twists that like we don't feel like we could have predicted what was going to happen. I would like Waldorf. I would not have Or the primitive skills community.
4: I mean that, that the Waldorf
0: yeah. community would have gone the direction or the earth skills community would have gone the direction that they went. I never would have seen that coming. And then even beyond that just thinking about what, you know, how to think about predicting these types of things. So it's just really an interesting thing that we we've, we've talked about a lot. Like why did we end up where we are yeah. versus you know, this person that we've known for 30 years ended up there. And, um,
1: and that is something that I think about a lot. And we talk about like, what is it? Why us? And and then the children who are coming to our school. And is it like a particular gene? <laughs> I don't know. Like what? But when I look over my life, it's like I've always seen things a little bit differently. Like when my children were born, there was no question that they were going to be born at home. There was no question that I would ever vaccinate them. I don't really know why like my sister did we were raised by the same parents um but i just knew something and i don't know whatever whatever that is i like to talk about that with people
0: it is interesting mm-hmm. yeah. um, it's it's you
5: know it's interesting to hear your story you know it's um one of many stories that happened in the last couple almost 3 years um you know of people who have um um Face these like new structures, right? Uh, or I guess maybe not so new. Maybe these structures that you know uh, are uh, the the these oppressive structures, right? And and so mm-hmm. I guess my question is about you and your in your families. You know, uh, we all had uh, some sort of break from people, you know, in our communities at work. Uh, and obviously, like families are important. And, and I'm curious as to you know what especially because you did this project where according to some, you know, in this narrative, uh, you were endangering kids, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
5: did you face any of that, um, you know, accusations from family members or, you know, how did you manage that?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it feels like that's been really delicate for each of us individually and family members that are close to us that have done different things. Um, Uh, initially last year as far as in context with the school there was a family who enrolled that were separated the mom and the dad and um, the dad had full custody of the child and was completely aligned with what we were doing and had educational say over what the child did Um, however the mom was not in agreement and because she was a parent here she had access to our internal policies and on talking about all this stuff and she actually um, took it to the local paper to try to get it shut down. Um, yeah, it, luckily, I don't know all the details of it, but we were able to actually turn that article as much as possible in our favor, and it didn't end up <laughs> taking us out. It actually helped. Um, so it's it really is a lot of stepping into something that is unknown, and we aren't quite sure what's going to happen next. But. Um,
5: and I'm yeah. curious, maybe how do you feel now? You know, like some people think that it's over, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe here's some sort of uh, um, hurdle or we're back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is. But uh, do you feel a sense of, you know, still maybe being watchful uh, for what might happen? You know, that like whether it be the state or some sort of authority, Um
1: yeah, for sure. We're definitely on that conspiratorial train that this is just the beginning. <laughs> I mean, if you get into any of the technocratic aspects of education or Allison McDowell, it's like this has been planned for a long time and we're just at the start. So we, we're we not going to stop doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and that, that piece of the insidious nature where you don't really know what's happening until after it's happened and how to like predict, work on that, like whether it's prediction or like seeing before you're, it's too late.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it like the, the large, the global experiment was a huge success in the sense (laughs) that whoever's, you know, behind this got really great Intel about how the population is able to be controlled and manipulated. Mm -hmm. And so you know, we've, we've learned some, some difficult lessons along the way. We've had some, some successes and, um, you know, it's, it's definitely just more clear that we've got a
3: lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. So. Well, first of all, does anybody have any questions? Cause I'm maybe, I'm going to say something that's more like a wrap up, but I want to see if other people have questions. Okay. Yeah. Um,
4: Eleven for you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, impressed.
3: First of all, it's been amazing to hear your story. Um, and JD, to, to the center part, I wrote this down when you were talking about your background and well, your orientation from midwifery of that question for you of like who is in control of this? Like, I feel like that question has been has been nagging me this whole time. You know, like during this last few years, and it seems like that's been a question that's been on your mind for your entire life. And the both of you, I would say, are, have done an amazing job of staking out, of doing the kind of thing I hope to do in, in my community here. Um, and it's very uh, inspiring. I'm, I'm glad we made contact because I'm, I am really hoping that both not just our channel, but the work I do here can do the same sort of thing that you folks have done over there in North Carolina, which is allow people who are wondering who is in control to say, How do I get in control? How do I get in control of my life in in regards to, and I love the way you put it, Jay, these transformative experiences, Mm
0: -hmm. because
3: somebody else has got an idea for me um, and it's not good. So I'm just really glad we got a chance to interview you.
1: Well, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and it's been really fun talking and getting to know each of you Mm. and sharing this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I wanted to
4: add to just um obviously we'll link your website below but just to encourage people because I know we have a lot of listeners who are
0: mm-hmm.
4: whether they're parents or teachers, former teachers, mentors whatever are interested, you know, like a lot of us here are in mm-hmm. transitioning to something else. Um, I feel like your website does a really amazing job of just kind of articulating, you know, your your values and then there's even like a sample you know, schedule and stuff like that. So I feel like if you if you found the interview interesting, um, you might draw some
1: some inspiration from it. So check it out. Yeah, and I've been doing pretty regularly monthly calls, like just with people who want to talk about this and continue to build whatever networks we can to support each other in the process. So that's something that, yeah, you can get to through the website. So we currently have a 50-50 raffle going to support AUDA. Tickets are only $5 and it's virtual, so you can do it from anywhere. And the drawing, the winner will be next Friday, December 9th, after our Sovereign Supper fundraiser.
3: Where do we buy the tickets?
1: On our website, under Holiday
3: Raffle. So we'll put that in the link. And maybe I've talked to Brandy about making a contribution. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's Thank appalachian you. slash academy.org yes
4: we'll link it
2: You you have anything you want to suggest to families or other educators or other people who are interested in this work how would if they were to do any like anything like this for kids for communities what would be something that you just perseverance like because it sounds a lot like This was so (laughs) much work and experimentation and the consistency and the perseverance to get through all of this and the attacks. I can just imagine the divisions. Yeah. You know, weathering all of that is just anything you
0: want to share. Well, I mean, I think I think for for us, we looked at what we had as available to us as far as, you know, resources and cachions and things like that. And like You know, I want to really reiterate that the lessons that we've learned and the tools that we've gained along the way, I feel like along with our, you know, our outline and our structure can be really reproduced at a scalable level to, you know, a a smaller program, um, a larger program, but really based on the individual and what lights them up and then knowing that there are other people around and you know you mm-hmm. I feel like got to maybe you know it's going to be different everywhere we've got the laws in North Carolina the way that we do which kind of work in our favor in this in this capacity but you know mm-hmm. starting with what you've got mm-hmm. and then building from there and I think that, that that's what way that this can be replicated
1: and I think doing the work to figure out what it is that you can connect to. That's like your genius. The thing that really lights you up in relation to some type of school structure um, and trusting in that trusting that you can step into something unknown. And cause it is, I think that for a lot of people, it's really scary to let go of these structures mm-hmm. and to trust, like, how is this going to work? What's going to happen? And that were really just at a time where it's just do it, like, like, just do it. I have, I was on a call with another organization, a person that's like, let's talk about starting new school systems. And it was a, somebody pretty well known. So there was about a hundred people on the call and they were all talking about starting something, but I was really the only one that actually did it. And I was kind of like, what, yeah. like do something, you can do it. And you might not know what it's going to look like or how it's going to happen, but that's okay. And how we can continue to facilitate and support each other in that. And um, I mean, I think that there's a really big conversation around what is community, how that works and how many people say they want community, but then it doesn't work. And that's a whole nother, whole nother really big topic. But I think if you can find even just one or two people that that's all you need to start. Like it's, you don't need to have your whole neighborhood working together to make it happen, and to create something.
0: And and reach out because we are here and we are invested in yeah. continuing this this movement. So
3: thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys.
3: Yeah. Thank you very much for doing this. So we'll be in touch. Okay. That does it for this week's episode. What's left is
2: a weekly political podcast or channel. Challenging the mainstream left, we post information about our topics our, and our guests on the opposite notes where we found this episode or on our blog as leftpodcast.com. And you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please uh, subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Tumblr, or Telegram. And you can find our blog in any of those ones, in the episode notes, where found this episode. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard, or is it just something for us to cover, contact us through, contact us through our blog. And, uh, you can always find their social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at Zebdk on Instagram. And Jessica's Twitter handle as at jhomie89. Um, and we thank you very much, Jay and JD for being with us. Uh, It was such a pleasure having you both and we hope to see everyone, uh, the team, uh, Jessica, Kenny and Andy on the next episode. Thank you all very much. Ciao.